Chapter number 19. Oh, before we get into the message here, uh, the nursery worker lunch is going to be right after the, the uh, morning service in the fellowship hall. Um, so those that are, have been, maybe you've already been notified, if you're interested in the uh, uh, working in the nursery, they've been trying to gather some ladies and some in, uh, interest and some excitement about that, about uh, this coming year, how uh, we could serve and get schedules and all that kind of thing. And uh, so uh, ladies, if you're interested in that, the, the uh, uh, nursery workers lunch is going to be in the fellowship hall. Uh, you need to step in there. It won't be uh, extended or very long, but there's some things that, that uh, we need to go over. So that's going to be a, a blessing to you, I'm sure, right after the morning service. So I won't have to say anything about that at the close of the service. Just remember, um, uh, then uh, head out there in the fellowship hall, ladies. Um, 1 Kings chapter number 19. Let's look at verse 13, go down through verse number 18 in our progression of prepare. We are looking at preparing things for God's blessings. Um, uh, back in chapter 18, verse 44, you know, Ahab told uh, the others, prepare thy chariot, get thee down for the rain, that the rain stop thee not. We talked about all of the, uh, the, the preparation of God so that we can uh, uh, see the Lord's blessings, his victories in our lives. And so the entire uh, year, we're looking at the prepare theme, preparing for divine movement by faith. Um, when he said, hey, there's a sound of abundance of rain, it's coming, and when there was nothing, and it was by faith, he knew that was, was coming, so we had to have to prepare by faith, by sacrifice, and then also by persistence. And so here we are in our, our progression. First Kings chapter number 19, verse number 13. And it was so when Elijah heard it that he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entering in of the cave. And behold, it came a voice unto him and said, What doest thou hear, Elijah? That which he heard or that which he experienced was when the Lord passed by, wind, earthquake, and fire, great spectacular things. And the Lord wasn't communicating to him or through any of those to him. It was that still, small voice. And that's where we learned last time of the Lord's renewal, of his, um, that intimacy, that communion that we can have with him. And, and we emphasized that last time. So when he heard that, he goes uh, back in the entering in of his cave. And the Lord is asking him the question that he asked a few verses prior to it, a very same question. What doest thou hear, Elijah? Verse 14, and he said... I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts because the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altars, and slain thy prophets with the sword, and I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. Boy, he was in a bad way there. He was, he was, he was having a bad day. He was, he was having a hard time with this whole thing because he's standing and standing for the Lord and it seems as though he's the only one. He's the only one that speaks for God. He's the only one that stands for the Lord. And so the Lord has a, has a remedy for him. Verse 15, the Lord said unto him, Go, return on thy way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when thou comest, anoint Hazel to be king over Syria, and Jehu, the son of Nimshi, shalt thou anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Abel-Meholah, shalt thou anoint to be prophet in thy room. 
And it shall come to pass that him that escapeth the sword of Hazael shall Jehu slay, and him that escapeth from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha slay. Yet have I left me seven thousand in Israel, all the knees which have not bowed unto Baal, and every mouth which hath not kissed him. Thank you, Lord. I pray that you would open up your word to us, help us to see some things right here where we are through the scripture here that would be a blessing to us. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to understand that Elijah was a like a man of like passions as we are. He had the same emotions that we do. He faced the same things, the face, faced the same challenges, the same discouragements, the same attitudes that he had, we seem to have. That's what the Bible says. He was a man. He, he, he uh, was in that situation, that circumstance, but he was a man. He was just a man, and he, he reacted so many times the way that we react to things. And so, Lord, I pray that you help us to see the things that are in your toolbox that would remedy, that would help, that would, uh, you know, fix our condition, our situation. Lord, I pray that you just bless today. Help us for everyone that's here, Lord, to be able to gain from your word. Lord, I pray that you'd speak to hearts. We invite you to be part of this service and that you would do your work in hearts as only you can. Lord, we pray that you'd bless in Jesus' name. Amen. Elijah certainly had the I'm, I'm the only one syndrome. And that's what he says. He says, uh, I have been jealous because I'm the only one that stands. Everybody else has fallen. Everybody else has forsaken you. And I'm the only one. And so that was his attitude. That was his uh, feeling, his emotion that he was dealing with right now. The I'm the only one syndrome. Nobody else is blasted like me. Nobody else is asked to sacrifice to the degree that I am sacrificing. Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever felt like you're going to be trying to do right and... Uh, maybe you've been an idiot all your life, but then now you try to do right, and then you look around and others are not doing right, and you're saying, well, I'm the only one. God, I'm the only one. Nobody else is as spiritual as I am. I'm being treated unfairly. That's what Elijah was really saying. He was saying, they're, uh, they're after me now. I'm running for my life. I was standing for you, God, and, and everybody else has fallen, and I'm the only one. It's the same sentiment that we see in the dissatisfaction of Matthew chapter 20, verse number 1. And we'll get back here, but I want to illustrate this attitude, this emotion that we are, are common to, we're, we're uh, uh, familiar with. Matthew chapter 20, Jesus gives a story here, and he, and he gives this, uh, I'm being treated unfairly attitude that sometimes we sport. Matthew chapter 20, verse number 1, for the kingdom of heaven is like unto a man that is an householder, which went out early in the morning to hire laborers into his vineyard. And when he had agreed with the laborers for a penny a day, he sent them into his vineyard. So how much did he agree with them that they would get at the end of that day? A penny. Now, we're not talking about a penny like uh, a cent that we have, but it's talking about a day's wage. So whatever that day's wage was, you figure what you're doing. If you work at, you know, $10 an hour, uh, $30 an hour, whatever it is, and you work eight hours, whatever, that's a day's wage. The, the wage you get is a day's wage. And so he agreed with them so much per this day's work, right? So it says he agreed with the laborers a penny a day, verse 3. And he went out about the third hour, okay? First hour is the first hour of sunshine, which is, you know, depending on the time of the year, whatever, uh, 6 a.m., 
third hour is 9 a.m., so 9 o'clock in the morning, he goes out and saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And he said unto them, Go ye also into the vineyard, and whatsoever is right, I will give you. And they went their way, and so on. We won't read the whole thing. Third hour, twelfth hour, all through the day. Nine o'clock, noon, uh, three o'clock, five o'clock in the evening, eleventh hour, he comes and he puts the last ones to work. Let's go down to verse number eight. So when even was come, the Lord of the vineyard saith unto his steward, Call the laborers and give them their hire, beginning from the last unto the first. And when they came that were hired about the 11th hour, that's 5 p.m., and they only had one more uh, hour of daylight, they worked one hour. There's some that worked 12 hours that day. I mean, all day long, in, in the uh, morning, in the noon, and afternoon, worked all day long. But the last man that was hired, they noted what the master gave to this man. And it was a penny, or a day's wage, just like he had promised to the others. You know, now, you remember those guys that he, right at first, the ones that went out the, uh, at uh, 6 a.m.? What, what did he agree with them? I'm going to hire you for a what? For a penny, a, a day's wage. At the end, the guys that only worked one hour, he gives them a day's wage, a penny. Good deal, by the way. <laughs> How about that? You know, I'd, I'd like to be the one at the, you know, last hour to work that day, you know. But anyway, so that's what happened. They received every man a penny. Verse 10. But when the first came, they supposed that they should have received more. And they likewise received every man a penny. Now, whatever that penny was, however much that was, 100 bucks, or let's say it was $100, you know. Okay, so here, the first guy's given $100. And I worked all day long. That guy worked one hour. Hey, whoa, what, what is my paycheck going to be looking like? And so, $100, same thing, a penny. Same thing that the first guy got. The guy that only worked an hour. Verse 11, And when they had received it, they murmured against the goodman of the house, <clears throat> saying, These last have wrought but one hour, and thou hast made them equal unto us, which have borne the burden and heat of the day. But he answered one of them and said, Friend, I do thee no wrong. Didst thou not agree with me for a penny? Was that our, our contract or not? I told you this is what I was going to do for you, and this is what I did. I kept my word, and I paid you what I told you. I said, I was, this is, this is the, the amount. You agreed. You said, you know what, that's, that's worth it. I'll come work for 100 bucks or whatever that penny was. I'll come work for that amount, and so I paid you that amount. I said a penny, gave you a penny, and so uh, did you not agree with me for a penny? Verse 14. Take that is thine, that thine is, and go thy way. I will give unto this last, even as unto thee. Is it not lawful for me to do what I will with mine own? Is thine eye evil because I am good? Since I know I'm giving them, them guys extra. But that's, that's what I'm agreeing to do, okay? That's what I, I said I was going to do that. I'm doing that. and So where's the problem? You know, you agreed for that much and, and whatever. And these people, the people that were murmuring, is they're, they're, they're speaking evil of this guy. They're saying, that's, you know what? If you've ever had kids, more than one in a house. If you've had maybe an only child, maybe you not have ever heard it. But if you've ever had two or three or 10 or 15 or 20 kids, 
and you know you try to you know do whatever with all of them <clears throat> you've heard this phrase a million times if you heard it once what is it that's not fair that's not fair i remember when i was a kid i how many times did i say that you know that's not fair you did you gave her more ice cream than you gave <laughs> whatever you know that's not fair and so these guys had an attitude and their attitude they were looking at somebody else and say, hey, wait a minute, I did more than that. You're not treating me right. I'm, I'm being mistreated here. You're unfair with me. That's what, that's what their attitude was. The Lord deals, deals with us by our relationship and, and our intention. More than the actual outcome of our performance. You, you remember that the woman that gave the, the two mites that's like less than a penny, a cent. Now we're talking about a cent of ours, a, one penny. The lady that gave in, in the offering at the temple that Jesus watched give, this poor woman gave all that she had. It was two mites. It was less than, less than the, the value of one of our, cent, our cents. And there was, there was rich people that were giving in a lot of money into that. And they were, they were really, you know, showing this up. Take the $100 bill and, you know, okay, look at this. I'm throwing that in. Ha <laughs> ha, look at that. And somebody else, he wanted to really make a, a, a show, so he took a, 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 a gold nugget and he threw that in there. That <laughs> made a lot of noise. And anyway, so there were, there were people that were giving of their abundance and giving a lot of money. And Jesus said, see this woman that gave two mites? She gave more than everybody else. Why? Because... To her, that was 100%. She didn't have anything. She was poor. She gave everything. Nobody else gave everything that day. So when, when you look at the amount given, she didn't give as much as they, but you know what? With the intention or with the potential or with who she was, she gave more. See, that's the way that the Lord judges us on our intention and our attitude and our relationships is not the outcome of our performance, but our intention. And so here are these people that they were hired at the last part of the day, and so they were paid, you know, whatever. What about a person that gets saved at the last moment of his life? If I was to say, okay, how many here are believers, and we'd have a raise of hands, and uh, we're probably dealing with a, a whole congregation of people that know the Lord. You've been saved. And I go down, how many years, how many years, how many, maybe some months, maybe some just a few days, maybe some for 45 years, I've known the Lord for, for 60 years, I've known the Lord. And, and then ask, um, how has it been in your walk with the Lord? Has it been easy? Oh, no, it's, it's actually been rough. There's been trials or there's been this or that, and, or you either stayed faithful or haven't. But it's a, it's a, it's a trial to, to walk with the Lord and to sacrifice for him and to, and to believe him and to put him first and and, and to, to truly honor the Lord in your life, there will be a lifetime of sacrifice or, or intention or dedication to the Lord. And then somebody else gets saved right before they die. They go to heaven, just like I go to heaven, and I've been knowing the Lord for 46 years now. Yeah. Yeah. What, a person, what about that person that gets saved right, right before they die? Last moments of their life. Do they get an equal place in the kingdom? Well, what about the thief on the cross? 
You know what? We, we could talk about the thief on the cross because, and the Bible says, here, and it just calls them malefactors. How about that? You're a malefactor. <laughs> That's a malefactor. You cuss at me? No. I called you a malefactor. They were malefactors. What about, what about a malefactor like that? Well, what does that mean? Well, that means he wasn't a church person, okay? He wasn't good. He wasn't a nice person. He was a kind that would take advantage of others. He was a shyster. He was a crook. He was a murderer, whatever it was that he was being, that was, it was capital punishment. He was dying for the sins that he's committed, the crimes against humanity, against others. He was caught and he was made to pay for that. And the, and the guy was a, was a snake. The guy was a slimy snake that was, was that's who he was. He was a sinner. Maybe very, for the first time in his life, he looked over and he saw this Jesus. The Bible says the beginning of his uh, stint on the cross, they both cursed Jesus. Both of them, it says, on both sides of Jesus began to rail upon Christ saying, well, you're supposed to be the son of God. Why don't you save yourself and us too? You know. Anyway, that's, that's who they were. And they were both cursing. That's what it says. But then somewhere along the line, the one, the one of the malefactors I don't know, maybe he heard, heard about Jesus for a long time, but no personal experience. He heard about who Jesus was and probably bought into all of the criticism and all of the, the, the uh, uh, disbelief and all of the, the uh, cynicism of the, of the world around him. And that's what he thought of this Christ. But here he is, he's dying, and he's watching this man that's in the middle cross die for the sins of mankind and he actually says in his pain and in his agony, actually says, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. Father, forgive them. The guy that they put a purple robe on and, and took a crown of thorns and didn't just place it on his head. It says they, they put that crown of thorns and they... They smote his head with it. They jabbed it down with a, with a, with a reed to, to have it just anchor into his, his brow. The Bible says that they took his beard and they plucked it out of his face. Had a little bit more of a beard than I had because you can't do that. My grandkids can't get a hold of this. <laughs> I'm, I'm thankful. I get them there and they're yeah, trying to get it. They can't do it. But he had enough beard where they, they, they would get a handful and yank it off of his face. Can you, can you see the blood after the beating and after the, the scourging and, and, and the, 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 the crown of thorns and his, his head was a bloody mess. And the Bible says that they spat upon him. And bowed the knee in mockery and said, Behold the king. And stretch out his hands and they. A nail through the hands and the feet where maybe the, the thieves were tied, but he was he was nailed to the cross. There was more there was more to it, folks. There was more to it than just a just a execution. As vindictive and execution. It was that to where the Bible in Psalm 22 says they they looked they uh, uh, looked upon me with their their gaping mouths and they they came. Uh, he says bulls of Bashan have beset me round about. 
where's these bullets? Well, you know what? There's not just the men, but there was a spiritual activity that men could not see. And it was viciously, he was viciously attacked. And, and they hurt him as much as they possibly could. And you could see the spit just drooling down off of his face and his open wounds and his blood. And he looks up and he says, Father, they don't know what they're doing. Hold back your wrath. The plan is to give my life, to die for these ones I love. And here's this thief seeing that for the very first time in his life. He didn't know what to do with that. He didn't know how to react to that. It wasn't this cynical Jesus that he heard about or that he bought into or that he cursed just a moment ago. Now he's, he's watching that. He's watching what's taking place and he's listening to the man who was actually dying for the sins of, of those who have put him on that, on that cross. And so the thief comes to the place where something happened to him. He realized this guy's not dying for his crimes, he's dying for others, for mine. He looks over to him and he says, Lord, remember me thou comest into thy kingdom. And in that condition, in, in, in that physical condition, Jesus, still the last moment of life on earth, he looks over to him and he says, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. Whew, my goodness. So here's this thief that was saved. He was, he was saved. He was saved from a life of sin. He was, he was pardoned. He, he, he got the, the, the letter from the governor before they, they pulled the switch. He was about to go, and he was right those last moments of his death. This thief got saved. And you know what? We, we applaud that, and we say, see, see Christ's ability but you want to know something? We kind of we kind of romanticize the whole thing, don't we? We kind of look at this thief and say, "Well, he was a malefactor." No, no. You know what that means? He was scum. He was not worthy. He was a sinner. For those of you that know Tom first, he. Uh, pastored in Nebraska, and then he joined a prison fellowship or Rock of Ages prison ministry, one of those prison ministries. And he had, he had some time with Jeffrey Dahmer before they executed him. And if you know anything about Jeffrey Dahmer, and, and he would talk about, talk about depraved, talk about monstrous, monstrous. Talk about, you know, the, the things that he, you know, we, 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 we really can't even you know, overview his crimes because it's not appropriate. The guy was a monster. The guy was a monster. And, and before he passed, before they executed, before they took his life, they, they had uh, relatives and they had loved ones of those who he snuffed out. And they were looking for that. They were wanting to see blood. They were wanting to, 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 to watch him actually take his last breaths. This preacher, Brother First, spent some time with 
Jeffrey Dahmer before he passed and laid out the gospel, had an opportunity to lay out the gospel. And, he, and this, see, the, the Bible says, Paul said, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the chief. He was the worst of the worst. That's what Paul said. He, he killed Christians, remember, before he got saved. He murdered believers just because they were believers, just because they followed the Lord. And, and Paul felt as though he was the worst. He couldn't be saved. But you know what? The, the Lord saved him as an example. Anybody can be saved. Anybody can be pardoned. Well, whether you believe it or not, Tom First has the testimony of talking to Mr. Dahmer. And before he was executed, he, he'd never heard the gospel. Maybe not in his life clearly. He heard it and said, really? God could save me? You're, you're telling me that God could save me? Do you know God could save me? And he, he bowed and in repentance prayed the sinner's prayer and asked to be saved. And then he was executed. I remember reading the papers the next day and there was, there was a public cry, for, not just from his loved ones, but from anybody, from anyone who would, who would tout that this monster could be saved. They said, no, we don't buy it. That's not, that's impossible, not for him. No, there's a place in hell for him and it's hot and that's what... But you want to know something, and I, you know what? I'm not God, and I don't know, and whether or not he got saved, I'm not sure. But you know what I know? Jesus can save the worst of the worst, the chief of sinners, to the uttermost, the Bible says. Because his pardon is good for sinners. And although you might look at somebody like that, you might look at somebody in prison, you might look, oh, they're worse, they're much worse than I No, no, excuse me, we're all sinners. Everybody has sinned and come short of the glory of God. Listen, that's what the Bible says. We all need to repent to be saved. And God has a pardon for each one of us. And this man, the, the thief on the cross, we don't know his sins. Maybe if his sins were known, maybe they would say to, about him, no, that's impossible, not that man, not that man who dedicated his entire life for wickedness and for selfishness and rebellion. The guy was a snake and he gets saved moments before he's dead. But you know what Jesus said to that guy? Today, thou shalt be with me in paradise. Goodness. Goodness. What, of a, what about, okay, what about a child? We're talking about maybe a believer spent all of their life living for the Lord and sacrificing for the Lord and uh, to, to his heavenly reward. And, and here's the thief on the cross. Moments before he, there was, there was, he didn't even have time to get baptized. Excuse me, you don't, <laughs> you're not baptized to be saved. Otherwise, he would, couldn't be saved. But Jesus said, today, thou shalt be with me in paradise. And he didn't have any time to do any good. He never memorized the Bible verse. He never went to Sunday school, he uh, never gave any money to any charitable cause, he never did anything like that. No, no, an entire life of wickedness and the man could be saved. Uh, what about, a, what about a, a, a child who is ushered before the king when it was done with his or her life at 
two years old. Or what about all the unborn that are aborted? And people want to say, well, it's just cells. Excuse me. You'd have to, you'd have to deny science, really. There's a heartbeat. There's a brainwave. They experience pain in a mother's womb. And that's, by the way, that's one thing we don't even want to talk about, do we? Because that, that, that'll, that'll really rub against our conscience to live in a society where that's okay. It's not okay. It's not okay. But what, what about a child before they come to the age of accountability and, and they die? Well, Jesus said they are of the kingdom of heaven. Of such are of the kingdom of heaven. He says, don't shoo them away from me. No, no, no. <laughs> They're of the kingdom of heaven. And then he says, matter of fact, anybody that ever gets saved has to come like a child. You know, in, in the innocency that they have and the, the, re, the acceptance and belief of what he says. Anyway, so what about a child who's, who uh, dies when they're, when they're a child or, or a baby? What about an elderly saint who sacrificed their life to reach others? See, look, <clears throat> grace is free and unearned. You don't pay for it, and I don't pay for it. It's something that is provided. And there's not a one of us could be saved if it wasn't made available totally. It's a pardon. It's a forgiveness of debt, of sin. It is a, a, a complete and total pardon. And when somebody gets saved, they're justified. Not only are they saved, they're forgiven, they're pardoned, but they, they, they have the, the righteousness of Christ imputed onto them. And therefore, I can come into God's presence just as if I was Jesus, the one who was well-beloved, who never did anything wrong, no sin at all. That's my righteousness. Wow. Pardon is not humanly attainable. Justification is out of reach to, to us, but they're included in the gift of God. Romans chapter 6, verse 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Through Jesus Christ. Listen, it's the gift of God. Salvation is unearned. Now, folks, don't, don't get it confused because for the believer, treasures in heaven are attained. That's, that's a little different. We're talking about something that's, that's different, that's, that's beyond that. We're talking about treasures in heaven. Matthew 6.20, Jesus said this, and pay attention, believer. Lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt and where thieves do not break through nor steal. Listen, the Bible says very clearly, we as believers, once we're saved, we can earn treasures and crowns and position and, and, and honor and, and, and a place. The Lord makes that clear that these treasures are eternal. They don't rust or go away or are lost. No, no, they're, they're eternal treasures. So all the redeemed are provided a salvation that was unearned. I'm talking about the salvation, like the thief on the cross. But what about that thief on the cross? What about the deathbed repentance of some who got saved in the 11th hour, you know, right before they died? Fortunate? Do we consider them fortunate? Because why? Because uh, they had an entire life of living a, how they wanted to in rebellion. They didn't have to do anything that the Lord wanted for them, huh? You know, 
They didn't have to uh, whatever. They were just they were sinners all their life, and so they're fortunate because well they didn't have to go to church or they didn't have to follow the Lord. They didn't have to read their Bible or 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 do any of that stuff. You know, they were fortunate because they got to remain in a life of sin longer than others. <laughs> that's that's not folks. Sometimes we, we might think that we might think that that's a you know a, a position to have. That's a, that's an attitude of the backslider in Psalm seventy three verse number one. Let's read it. This is a, this is a believer who had that attitude about those who were sinners. They looked at those who were sinners, and and this is what he said: Truly, God is good to Israel, even to such as are of a clean heart. But as for me, oh boy, I was in a bad way. A believer, folks, is talking about a believer here, and he was in a bad way. You know why he was in a bad way? He was looking at sinners out there, and he was envious of them. He was saying, well, they, they can do anything they want to do. You know, if I was to do something wrong, man, I'd catch it. I'd catch it from my Heavenly Father. But they can do anything they want to do. When my kids were growing up, and we'd be watching a movie or something like that. You know, as a parent, you're trying to be very careful about what you watch, whatever. And we come across something that, you know, some little kid was uh, being really rebellious, you know. And, you know, uh, slapped her mom or something like that, you know. I'd, I'd pause the, the thing. I'd stop and look at my little kids and say, guys, what would happen to him if he did that in, in this house? And they just... <laughs> They just lose it. Oh, no, man. That was, oh, Are you kidding me? I don't, I don't know. We'd be having him for dinner. I don't know what would it. <laughs> because they knew. You, you, you don't get away with that stuff here. Excuse me. There's wickedness out there. You don't get away with it in this house. You know why? Because we've got rules and we've got whatever and everything else. Here's this, here's this believer who says, man, I was in a bad way. In Psalm 73, in verse number uh, 2, he says, but as for me, no, no, no. I didn't have my head screwed on right. My feet were almost gone. My steps had well nigh slipped. For I was envious at the foolish. I was looking at the lost and saying, well, it would have been be nice to be able to do that. Be nice to be able to <coughs> get away with that stuff. You know, I don't know, but maybe my kids uh, looked at their lot in life when, you know, little Bobby down the street you know, throwing rocks through his, you know, neighbor's windows and getting away with it. Maybe my kids might have said, yeah, I'd like to be able to do that kind of stuff, you know. I don't think they did. A couple of my kids are in here right now. I'll have to ask them later. But nonetheless, <laughs> that, that's the attitude. That's the attitude this guy had. He says, I was envious at the foolish. I was looking at those out, outside of uh, the Lord's instruction. I was envious at the foolish. When I saw the prosperity of the wicked, for there are no bands in their death. Their strength is firm. They're not in trouble as other men. You know the other men he's talking about? He's talking about himself. He's talking about those who were, uh, the, the other men are the ones that are following God. Paying you have to pay attention to the Lord as he gives instruction. So he's looking at them and he's saying, uh, they're, not in, uh, they're, they're not in trouble as other men. Neither are they plagued like other men. He's talking about believers. Hey, listen, if believers, whatever. Hey, it was real. Children of Israel, when they went into idolatry, God threw them into a, a slavery. Yeah. You know why? Because God's not going to put up with that kind of garbage. And that's what he says. They're not plagued like other men. Therefore, pride compasses them about as a chain. You know why? They could do whatever they want to do. Violence covers them as a garment. Their eyes stand out with fatness. They have more than the heart could wish. Folks, he was envious. Why? 
because he felt as though the wicked get away with everything, while the believer is disciplined by the Lord, <laughs> because he is. In Psalm 73, verse number 12, Behold, these are the ungodly who prosper in the world. They increase in riches. He says, this is wrong. It's wrong. It's wrong for believers to have to go by these rules and everybody else gets to do whatever they want to do. Uh, and then he says, verily, I have cleansed my heart in vain and washed my hands in innocency for all the day long. I have been plagued and chastened every morning. Hey, listen, as a believer, I can't get away with that stuff. And he was right. He was right because he was directed by the Lord, you know. What an awful way of looking at it. Yeah, the believer is disciplined, but for their own good. For their own good. We got, like I say, a couple of kids in the service here today. Kids, my kids. I disciplined you because I love you. Believe that. <laughs> believe, believe, I really. I'm not going to let you do all the foolishness that everybody else down the block is doing. No, we're not going to do that. Why? Because I love you. I don't want you to be mess, you know, messed up. Well, let's get the Lord's perspective. In, in verse number 17 of Psalm 73, look at that. The sinner, folks, the sinner is accountable. We think the sinner is unaccountable. Oh, yeah, if you're outside the Lord, you could just do whatever you want to do uh, for a short time. For a small window. That's it. This is what that believer came to, uh, Asaph or whoever this was, uh, the psalmist, I think it was Asaph, and, and he says this, I, this is the way I felt, I was in a bad way, I'm a believer and I, I'm thinking that, you know, it's just, man, what a raw deal to become a believer and look at everybody else, they get to do whatever they want and they're not plagued and they don't get chastened and I'm chastened when I do bad, I mean the Lord really gets me and I've got to walk in the, in the line and everything else and he says, and he, that was wrong, it was bad. And then the Bible says, until, read it, until I went into the sanctuary of God, then understood I their end. See, it's not right here, right now. It's, hey, folks, whatever the scoreboard looks like, ignore that. Because it's not the end. It's not the final. The final is quite a different story. Right now, it might look like the wicked are ahead. Right, right now, it looks like they get away with whatever. He says, no, no, I went to church, and then I realized when I understood, no, no, that's not the way it's going to end up. The end is a totally different uh, story. Then understood I their end. Surely thou didst set them in slippery places. Thou castest them down into destruction. How are they brought into desolation? As in a moment, they're utterly consumed with terrors. As a dream when one awaketh, so, O Lord, when thou awakest, thou shalt despise their image. Thus my heart was grieved. I said, boy, that was dumb. I was dumb. Why did I even think that? I was pricked in my reins. So foolish was I and ignorant. I was as a beast before you. He says, God, forgive me. That was... That was really bad for me to, to be backslidden like that, to think, to think that the lost are advantaged. Why? Because God says, no, no, sinners are accountable. Because sin is destructive. See, fo folks, over and over the words destruction and desolation in that, in that passage we're reading, terrors falling into your worst nightmare. It's talking about the, the unbeliever, the one who doesn't know God. Listen, the one who's, who's outside of, of the discipline of holiness. Listen, they, they face their worst nightmare, the Bible says. 
They're dark pictures of terror that men portray today in horror novels or movies. And it's just awful. It's awful. Let me tell you something. Hell will be worse. The worst of the worst of the worst of the, of the scariest thing that you've ever tried to imagine. Listen, hell will be worse. Hell is eternal. If you, if you die without Christ and you're not parted from your sin, you're going to face the celestial courtroom and you will be damned throughout eternity. Hell is inescapable. And for everyone with a deathbed repentance that gets saved right before they, they stepped into the, the, the jaws of hell, countless others will be cast into the lake of fire who thought they had one more opportunity, just one more time, I'm going to get saved. Yeah, I'll do that. I'll repent someday. Uh-uh, folks. You can, you can see it in the Bible. You can see it in, in real life. Too many, too many plan on someday turning over that leaf. Someday coming to Christ. Someday they're, they're going to get saved. But see, the problem is, folks, the problem is you don't deal with God that way. The, the same thing in wisdom, that, which is personified in Proverbs chapter 1, it's, it's the Lord. You can kind of uh, exchange wisdom and the Lord because the Lord deals with believers and unbelievers in the same way. In Proverbs chapter 1, this is what it says. Turn you at my reproof. Behold, I will pour out my spirit unto you. I will make known my words unto you. See, this is God that also calls out to the sinner. And he says, hey, listen, I've got something for you. You need to repent. You need to come to me. You need to get saved. He's, and he's pleading and he's asking and he's begging. And he's saying, listen, I'll help you with this. Turn. I've got, I'll make known my words unto you because, and then he says this, because I have called and ye refused. I have stretched out my hand and no man regarded. Ye have said it not, all my counsel and would none of my reproof. He says, I'm call calling out to you. I'm begging you. I'm, I'm asking you to repent. And you're, you're ignoring it. And you're saying, no, the, I, I, I'm, I don't have time for that today. I don't want to listen today. I don't want to. And he says, okay, there's coming a time. And he goes on. He says, I will also laugh at your calamity. I will, I will mock when your fear cometh. When your fear cometh as desolation and your destruction cometh as a whirlwind, when distress and anguish cometh upon you, then shall they call upon me. L listen, friend, God's warning you. Then shall they call upon me. See, see some of you figure, some, one of these days, one of these days, I'm going to do that. One of these days before I die, there, there is, there is a, a thief on the cross. Moments before he died, he, he repented and everything was fine. Yeah, right, for that guy. And, you, and, and that might, folks, that might have been the very first time. Might have been the very first time that that man had ever seen Christ and heard his words himself. Maybe for the very first time, it was just a bad picture. But you know, now he saw it for the first time and God was calling out to him and he said yes. And he was saved. You're not given that promise. No, no. You see, look, some of you have been raised in this church. And you're not saved. I mean, for as, as long as you can remember, you, you've been hearing about the grace of God and all of that kind of stuff. Oh, yeah, you know, everybody as you're a child. And if you have loving parents, the parents are going to try to do everything they can to bring you to a, 
a, a commitment, bring you to a um, conversion, you know, to where you'll get saved, you know. And, but that's never happened to you. You know that. Down deep inside, you don't know the Lord. And you're, you're just biding your time right now until you can have that opportunity to, to fly. But you've heard. See, you, this, is, this is the person we're talking about here. You've heard. You've heard and you've heard. You, you've felt the Holy Spirit speak to your heart and, and woo and tug and, and plead. And God's love is offered to you over and over and over again. He calls and he calls and you, and you don't have time for it. You, you turn away. And then God says this to you like he did to him. He, he says, they shall call upon me, but I will not answer. They shall seek me early, but they will not find me. What's that? Well, that, that means God's offer ends. God's invitation is over. There's a time when God stops calling. There's a time when the Spirit, well, you know, I, Pastor, I'll get saved when I'm good and ready. You don't get saved just when you want to. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. Right now, this is the time. Now is the accepted time, not tomorrow. You know why? Because the Bible says in Proverbs 27, 1, boast not. Boast not thyself for, of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. You don't know what's going to happen. You cannot guarantee that you're going to be here next Sunday to get saved. You don't know that for sure. But you know what? The, the Lord's speaking to you now. He's calling out right now. And you know what? For you that say, no, 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 no. I know what I'm doing. I understand. And I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to give my life to Christ. I will not repent. And you know what? There's coming a time where, where the Lord then says, you're going to call. And I've got it turned off. You're going to want to come, and it's no more. That's it. It's, it. it's not open anymore. Go ahead and try to call that man fortunate who faced eternity one day sooner than he planned. Now, he, folks, he's not fortunate. He goes into the eternal insane asylum. Go ahead and try to call that man fortunate. No, no, he's forsaken. He's doomed, forever forgotten in that place of, of hell, of darkness, of screams, of uh, uh, ever having desire, but never having fulfillment. Paul puts it this way in Romans 6.20. For when ye were the servants of sin, ye were free from righteousness. What fruit had ye then in those things whereof you're now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. Folks, you know what that means? Anything that the world gives you, it's got nothing. I mean, it's, it's nothing. It's, it's garbage. The, the fruit of all of that is death. Yeah. Big time in the world. Hey, listen, when I, when I look back to when I was, before I ever repented, I just wanted to hang on to those things because I wanted it so badly. You know, now I look back and I said, that was garbage. That was, I had nothing. It was unfulfilling. I'm so glad I came to Christ. I was hanging on to, to ashes. What in the world? The end of those things is death. And I'm now ashamed of that. I'm ashamed of all of that. I'm so glad I came to Christ. Listen, folks, somebody that uh, to, goes to the 11th hour before he gets saved, that's not fortunate. It's unfortunate that he doesn't get to, to serve the Lord. And, and, and I'm, so, I'm so ashamed of my unsaved life. I'm so happy that I know the Lord today. As a believer, as a believer, I'm raised, I'm groomed, I'm dis disciplined by my heavenly Father to bring forth a life of peace and fruit and joy contentedness and a relationship with him. I'm so, oh, man. That song that Matt sang, 
The Lord has never failed me never, and is not going to start today. Man, what a relationship. I, see, when I was a kid, I knew some virtual orf orphans. You know what I mean by virtual orphan? A virtual orphan is a, a kid that, um, how would you put it? They have parents, and the parents don't care. In my neighborhood, in the city of Chicago, there was always people, guys like that. You know, most of the kids down my block, I mean, uh, their parents were watching them and were leading them like my parents would, and we'd catch it if we'd ever do something wrong. But, but these virtual orphans, they had, no, they had no curfew. You know, friends of mine that, you know, their parents really didn't care. They could be orphans, and, and it'd be just about the same. They're living their own life, making their own decisions. And the virtual orphans were around our neighborhood, and I, I, used to, I remember looking at them and saying, well, wouldn't it be good if I had no curfew? You know, because they could stay out whenever they want. Their, their parents don't care, you know. That was dumb. <laughs> I mean, really, really dumb. You know, now, today, oh, man, I'm so glad I'm, I'm not in jail, didn't have the addictions, didn't have the, the uh, things that they went through and they, they face today, heartache, broken lives, broken relationships. And sure, yeah, it's, that's not, that's, that's, from a, that's from the perspective of a dumb kid. You know what I mean? I'm so glad that I had parents that cared about me and didn't let me do that. <clears throat> the psalmist ends up with this trek in Psalm 73, verse 27. He says, For lo, they that are far from thee shall perish. Thou hast destroyed all them that go whoring from thee. But it is good for me to draw near to God. I have put my trust in the Lord God that I may declare all of his word. It's good for me. It's good for me. You know, folks, I'm so glad I'm saved. I am so glad I'm saved. Now, getting back to Elijah in our text, he felt as though that he was the last man standing. Remember, he had this, this uh, I'm the only one syndrome. He was the only one that was doing what God wanted him to do. There were three things that God gave him in the toolbox that he had to remedy the situation. This is what he said. And you know what? I don't have time. I'm just going to list them. And mention them, and then we'll quit. Okay, that's that's how uh, I I really messed up on the time on this message here. So I'll have to explain all of this later. But I just want to give you the, the points because they're down here. Okay, so anyway, uh, the three points of God's toolbox when Elijah says, "I'm the only one," and God says, "No, you're not the only one." Listen, I'll, in in First Kings nineteen verse fifteen, the Lord said unto him, "This is what you do: go return thy way to the wilderness of Damascus." And when thou comest, anoint Hazael to be king over Syria, Jehu to be uh, the son of Nimshi, shalt thou anoint to be king over Israel, and Elisha, the son of Shaphat. And he says, these three guys, anoint these guys. They'll, they'll do your, your work. They'll take your place. Don't worry about it. These three things. So the three things in God's toolbox for Elijah was, was this. Hazael was the first one. He was a Syrian king that God would use to chastise his people for their idolatry and their rebellion. This result resembles exterior forces. This is the world. This is circumstances. And, and he says, I'm going to use circumstances. I'm going to use these circumstances to go ahead and, and deal you know, with the situation. We think that things just happen. No reason or no rhyme. Uh, the cards are just dealt with us by the luck of the draw. No, no, no. God uses environment to teach us, to shape us, to lead us. You can learn about the Lord where you are if you just open your eyes and understand that God's sovereign. There's no mistakes. <clears throat> Somebody said this is not a perfect world, but it is a perfect world for the Lord to develop his Christians. And that's the truth. 
God uses failure and pain and setback. He uses our life. You know, you are where you are. You have the parents you have. You have everything you have, everything you have, and God will teach you through circumstance. Number two is Jehu. This was uh, an Israelite king who would settle God's accounts with the wicked leadership of Israel, you know, with Jezebel and all that, and maybe in the weeks to come. I'm, I love this story, and I'm, I'll, I'll love going through it. But here it's talking about relationships in-house, in, in, the, in the, the nation of Israel, family relationships. This was discipline in the family. God uses our background to teach us about him. If you have a loving home, parents, family, then you'll understand something about our Heavenly Father. Our Father, which art in heaven, that's what Jesus said. That's how you pray. Just like we have a Heavenly Father, there's a Father in heaven that's so much more and so much better, but representative of the authority in your life. Now, if you're lacking, you don't have that, well, then you long for, understand the need, the desire to be included in a family. <clears throat> when, when I was growing up, we had foster kids, and I remember one of the kids that, that came into the home, he was my age, about, uh, oh, I don't know, 12 years old at the time, 13, and this is what he said. He said, Mr. Farinella, talk to my dad, Mr. Farinella, I want you to, I want you to spank me. <laughs> That's weird, you know. And, you know, we, we kind of looking at that saying, what? You know, and, but he wasn't, he wasn't funny. You know what he was saying? Because of the rules in that house, everybody had to do right. He said, nobody ever made us do right. Nobody ever made me do right. And if I did something wrong, Patrick is asking for a spanking. Yeah. You know why? Because he looked at us and he looked at and he says, well, man, you're in a family. You're in a family with parents that love you. What? I've never had that. Maybe, maybe you don't have the, the background or the, the family that's ideal. You know what? You can, you can look at what's right in the Word of God and say, man, that's, and God will teach you through that. Hazel, circumstances. Jehu is relationships and family. And then Elisha, that's spiritual instruction. That was the man of God that gave the people the Word of God. The prophet dealt with the word from heaven. He articulated, made plain, proclaimed the Word of God. God uses all three of these things to get our attention, to present the truth, to offer his solution to your questions and your quest. God uses those three tools to carve us and to mold us, circumstances around us, relationships, and his instruction in the word of God. And then the results, of course, are the followers. God said there were 7,000 that haven't bowed the knee. There's 7,000 that are following me. You know what we need to do? We need to pay attention to what God's doing in our hearts, our lives, right now, today. What is he speaking to you about? The Lord's dealing with you. What you've got to do is listen and respond and commit to follow him. Every head bowed, nobody looking for just a